0: Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim.
1: And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color about the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to overcome along the way.
0: Myla Kim, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's good to have you in the recording booth today, Helen. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is our first time interviewing together.
2: It is. This is such a treat for me. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation with our two incredible guests today. We have Dr. Deshauna Collier-Gubil and Dr. Nancy Wong-Yoon on the podcast today. They are both active, amazing Christian scholars. They're both moms, and they've come together to collaborate and co-edit this intriguing compilation of essays called Power Women, Stories of Motherhood, Faith, and the Academy.
0: I was so fascinated to hear about how each of them has had to navigate this space in which they are a minority on multiple levels they are women in the academy, they are women of color in the academy. So they are at the intersection of multiple marginalized groups. And still, they are both carving out a name for themselves in their respective disciplines. And like you had just mentioned, they're moms on top of all of that.
2: Yes. And when it comes to being a working mom, I know a little bit about this. There is nothing that can fully prepare (laughs) you for all the challenges that go along with being a full-time mom and full-time in the workplace. So I really appreciate that these women have tackled this topic, and I actually think more Christian workplaces, both inside the academy and outside of it, need to be talking about issues that working moms face more often.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully this episode helps, so let's dive in, shall we? We hope you all enjoy our conversation today. excited today to welcome Dr. Dashauna collier Gubil and Dr. Nancy Wong-Yoon to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So welcome to you both. Excited to be here.
3: Thank you.
0: Well, I want to dive a little bit into your ethnic identities. And so that's something that we love to talk about on this podcast and how it just shapes your whole journey of publishing. And so if you can just share one, what your ethnic identity is, and also one thing you really appreciate about your ethnic background, as well as something that you find challenging about it.
3: So, um, yeah, I am African-American. I say that I'm Black. So Black or African-American are both uh, the way that I'd self-describe. And being an an American-born Black, it's a very interesting experience because we have a very uh, detailed and estranged relationship in this country and with our being in this country. So what I would say about what I love most about being Black is just our community, our sense of being tied to each other, being one with each other, feeling a sense of community wherever I go. We we share expressions. There's actually a pretty funny video on TikTok. TikTok that talks about like how we communicate so much with each other without even saying any words. And that's just really awesome and something that I really love, you know, our creativity, what we give to the world, our abundance, what we do here. A challenge, I would say, so my field of study is criminology. A challenge for me, and it's also, it was a challenge for me in deciding to become a parent, is birthing children into the world whose lives can be snuffed out at any moment for any reason, with no justice. It's, it's pretty scary to bring children into the world I have to think about that in their lives. And it's something that I've had to think about every single year that my kids have been here, um, and even while I was pregnant. So that's what I would say is a major challenge for, for me.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Jashana. What about you, Nancy? So I identify first and foremost as
4: Asian American, even though obviously Asian America is a very diverse, over 20-some, you know, different ethnicities, cultures, languages. I actually grew up in Cerritos, California, and I like to think of it as like Asia-America Central. (laughs) There's just, I like my friends. I mean, I basically had a pan-Asian-American set of friends from middle school to high school and from all over, you know, East, South, Southeast, And so I I feel very well-versed in Asia-America and the different cultures, the different foods. Being Asian-American is really awesome. And, you know, it has its challenges currently with the anti-Asian racism and hate crimes that are happening. But nonetheless, I feel like actually it's also allowed the country to have a reckoning of, you know, that anti-Asian racism is a real thing. I think people didn't believe that it existed because of the model minority stereotype. It's complex now because uh, the United States is moving towards greater understanding and also greater resistance with the kind of anti-critical race theory movement all over the country, and especially in Christian circles. But what I love about being Asian, gosh, there's so many things. The food is the most <laughs> amazing Absolutely. thing. Yes,
3: yes. <laughs> um, I'm watching
4: a Chinese drama about court. It's called Yangshi in the Palace with with one of my kids actually, and we are just loving it <laughs> and, and loving and and the fact that there are there is more representation than ever. Um, that we can we have access, and there's more Asian American. Being recognized and represented, especially this last Oscars, Mm -hmm. the last two years, actually, with Parasite and um, and Mm -hmm. Minari... And um, and, you know, Riz Ahmed and Steven Yeun and Ye Jun So I, I study Hollywood, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> that's my that's my um, I, t- I talk about this. I think about this. This is what I actually write about most of the time. This book, obviously, Power Women is is more personal. But my research actually is about um, representation. And it's just exciting to be it's an honor to be Asian now more than ever. <laughs>
2: So I know this book emerged from conversations you had with other academics who were also moms, and you saw this gap in the marketplace for a book that includes many different women's experiences and addresses these intersections of motherhood and working in the academy. I'd love to know a little bit about what kinds of challenges you might have experienced working on this project.
3: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh I mean so many there's there's one particular one that was like a super major challenge for me, but I'm going to talk about that when I read the segment. But Nancy has just been so amazing as a mentor in this realm because she know she knows, and so she's kind of like, we need to do this, we need to do that. I'm like, okay, and I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to write something with someone who's so giving of herself, right? Because there's so many people that will that might have a Nancy stature, but they don't like partner with somebody else. who does it. You know, so so that's been amazing and a blessing
4: to me. I wanted to say that we also wanted to provide the opportunity for all the contributors who some of whom also is is their first publication. And for me personally, uh, because I have published and have access to and knowledge to the publishing world, I really wanted to provide the opportunity for all the women who, you know, maybe didn't have those connections and or didn't have the will (laughs) to do it. Because I think there was a lot of coaching that we had to do in order to... And also encouragement, right? Because I think that there there is imposter syndrome that that women of color faculty in general, and then you know especially those who have their time divided, that have to be very creative, you know, with their t- use of time, right? Because t- time is very tight for for working mothers, and so I think that that was something that was really important to us to be able to provide these opportunities because we need to publish in order to advance in our careers, and so this is what a great opportunity to be able to do that and write in a way. That can also then help other professor mothers to be able to do the same.
2: Before I forget, I want to mention on the ivypress.com website, there is an article that Nancy and Deshauna have written on the topic of motherhood and academia, so we will definitely link to that in the show notes. And of course the book is all about that topic. So you can read all this great content about this particular topic um, in all these ways. But Nancy, I wanna circle back to something you just referred to when it came to mentoring some of the contributors who were in the book. I would love to hear from you whether you feel like it is more difficult for authors of color to get published just from your vantage point as someone in the field of academia in the field of this area of studying racism in Hollywood. Would love just to hear your two cents. Yeah, I think for me, it was all completely new. I am the first person to
4: get a PhD in my family. A lot of authors of color are first, first to college, first to PhD. And so I had no idea what the publishing world is. And I just actually got a literary agent too. So I had to navigate that world. What does it mean to actually publish in the trade press? All of it is a, is it's in of itself a system and networks that people of color don't have access to if they're the first in their families to access higher education, right? And so I had to really hustle. I had to really go out of my comfort zone to talk to people, to query people, and I I got a lot of rejections. And Nobody ever talks about rejections in academia and academic press publishing. And so but I ended up talking to someone who was experienced um, from the other side of reviewing. And they said, you know, you should just submit to to a person and, and send your reviews. And then they will. And this was a person of color. This was an author of color who I had known from grad school. And so anyway, so he helped me and coached me. And so, you know, I want to do the same for others, right? So you, you take that knowledge and you pass it on because you understand how hard it is to do all that and and the emotional toll it takes, actually, because a lot of times authors of color are writing about things that are so close and personal to their hearts that um, that it's not just like, oh, it's my random research project that you're rejecting. No, it's like my life's work, my life's passion, and even maybe my community and my people right? And so so all of that, there's, the stakes are very high. I think the community that we can create amongst ourselves is
2: invaluable. I think that's something I appreciate about this compilation is you are giving so many authors of color who are women and moms the opportunity to share their stories in the in an academic book. I just think that's fabulous. So we look forward to hearing you all read it and talking more about it.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, Deshauna and Nancy are going to do a reading for us, and then we'll talk a little bit more about their book writing process. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast.
1: Mila, it is incredible to me that IVP is about to turn 75 years old. Do you believe that? That's amazing.
0: I know. That is amazing. I mean, considering that so many book publishers have come and gone during that time. And so I'm so grateful to be part of such a long-standing legacy.
1: Well, it's a testimony to IVP's commitment to publishing quality books, not to mention books by a diversity of authors. And this has been IVP's M.O. for the majority of its history.
0: Yeah, and we keep finding more voices of color to highlight each and every season. And so visit everyvoicenow.com to find out how you can get a great discount on today's featured book and many more.
2: Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee. It's time for our Behind the Word segment, where we hear readings from our authors, and then we find out more about what went on behind the scenes of writing those portions from their books. Our guests today are Dr. Deshauna Collier-Gubil and Dr. Nancy Wong-Yoon, and they will each be reading portions from their book, Power Women, Stories of Motherhood, Faith, and the Academy. So I'd love to hand the mic over to you first, Nancy, and you can give us some information on what we'll be hearing.
4: Great, this is uh, the introduction I'm going to be starting with, just to give some context of what the book is uh, about. And, and then Deshana is going to be reading a, a co-author chapter between her and myself that goes into her personal story more. Academics love a perfect plan. Some of us imagine hitting professional and personal milestones in harmonious syncopation. Complete grad school in two to eight years. Get a tenure track job immediately afterwards perhaps find a supportive spouse, and have children when everything is settled. But the journey rarely unfolds as we expect. Roadblocks and potholes appear on our best paved roads, forcing us to change routes and veer into unfamiliar, sometimes scary places. Timing motherhood can be a challenge. Uh, As one academic mother shared, there is no ideal time to have children. In grad school, you have more time, but you have no money. Once you become an assistant professor, you have more money, but you have no time. So nonetheless, professor mothers are on the rise. In 2014, 80% of women ages 40 to 44 with a PhD or professional degree had given birth, compared to 65% in 1994. Working mothers face many career hurdles um, compared to working fathers. To accommodate children, women are more likely to cut back on their work hours just as their careers are taking off, while men with children can often afford to work longer hours and advance in their careers. This unequal division of childcare and household labor can result in a mom penalty and a dad premium. For academic mothers, this translates to fewer work options. They are 132% more likely than fathers to end up in low-paid contingent positions. Academic mothers also face a tenure gap. Men with children and women without children are three times more likely to get tenure than women with children. So I'll just end there. Um, this is just to set up the the challenges and you know hurdles that women who are professors you know who are trying to navigate the academic system, what they go through and of course, um, later on, we also talk about how faith factors into this, and then all the chapters will go into um, personal experiences that um, that I think are are really poignant and And really also very helpful, I think, for for women who are thinking about having children who are already having children and and who are in academia trying to figure out how to balance, you know, research, teaching, family, service, all these things are are just things that, you know, challenges that we all go through as academic women. But I think that we we need more of a community through this book.
3: I just love the way that we start off there too as well as Nancy read just kind of outlining how we plan things I think that was one of the first conversations that Nancy and I had when preparing for the book was just talking about how like as PhDs we just we are so good at planning and so we (laughs) and <laughs> we're like, we're like You have to
2: be, right?
3: Yes. And then we set up this whole timeline of how to have children and when to have children. And that doesn't always work out well. And so we kind of allude to that having to deal with infertility and child loss and postpartum depression and some things like that you just can't plan for. And then you can't really put wrap a time frame around and how that really throws itself into the life for, for faculty moms.
0: I love how, Nancy, you wrote a mom penalty and a dad premium. Man, that just that just hits just that dynamic dichotomy of those two things and how difficult it is for women with all the intersections that you guys are talking about. It does really feel like a penalty for what? For being gifted to do all of these things that I've called to do. And how do I do that? So I don't know. That phrase just really stood out to me.
4: And the penalty is so much worse during quarantine. I think uh, we also actually wrote about that because as we were writing, <laughs> we were actually writing this and or editing this through quarantine and thinking about how to document all the research that was coming out that showed that women... Academics who are mothers are paying a huge penalty in the fact that daycare, child care, you know, wasn't available, and schools were out. They had to homeschool for the first time, or you know, if they're already homeschooling, it's still just you know the economic um, downturn, all those pressures. I think. Uh, Moms really felt it. And yeah, research was showing that they are so behind in research, whereas actually a lot of fathers (laughs) were able to use this time and become super productive. So exactly the mom penalty and dad premium was exacerbated in both directions during quarantine.
2: It's amazing to me that although I know you're talking about the academic space and sphere, so much of what you're sharing felt so relatable, even though I'm not an academic, a lot of the kinds of problems you're articulating, I just felt like, oh my goodness, they they understand me. <laughs> they're speaking to some of the challenges I have as a working mother who works full-time and tries to figure out a way how to fit things in. And yes, over quarantine, it has been super difficult. So I feel like this book is speaking to yeah my own experience. So it's been really appreciated what I've heard and read so far. And I think Dashauna, you're going to now read from the chapter that you all wrote together. Yes.
3: Yes. So I'm going to read from our shared chapter. So this is about extended networks and solo parenting. Um, and it's in our chapter about navigating support Christian academic mothers also rely on extended family one described the blessing of having her mother live nearby she said my mom lives next door to me literally two doors down I try not to rely on her too much for childcare. she has thrown she has her own life and especially after my father passed away I want her to pursue the things she loves and build an identity for herself but I know she is there and willing to help when I need it and just having that knowledge is such a source of comfort for me. Extended family help is even more essential for solo Christian academic mothers. In 2017, nearly one in four children in the United States were living with a solo mother. The pressures of being a breadwinner and sole caregiver is immense for mothers. Statistically, the financial burdens are extremely high with 30% of solo mothers and their families living in poverty compared with 17% of solo father families. 16% of families headed by a cohabitating couple and 8% of married couple families. Deshauna Collier-Gubil shares her own story below of assembling a team-based village approach to parenting as a solo academic mom. When I began this volume, I had planned to share my experience of birthing multiples. One year after beginning a dream job as the founding chair of a new academic department at my university, I learned that I was pregnant with twins. Life for me at that time was stressful. Leading a program, driving recruitment during a time of enrollment decline, recruiting and retaining diverse faculty, being a woman of color in an academic leadership role in which there are not many, and then adding becoming a new mom to two darling infants was definitely a much fuller plate than I had ever imagined. I was sleep-deprived, exhausted, joy-filled, happy, busy, overwhelmed, and successful all at the same time. Two and a half short years into my new role as a mom and breadwinner, I would experience yet another challenge, this one devastating. On the first day of spring break in 2019, I became a widow. My husband died suddenly and unexpectedly due to a heart attack. My world shattered. While things have been challenging before, I had no marker, no guideposts, and no way to know how to move forward in this new and awful twist of life. During the first few weeks, I survived on autopilot. My sister, a dear friend from seminary, my best friend, my cousin, and my parents all immediately came to my aid, picking up children from school, feeding them, ensuring they bathe, ensuring I ate food or some semblance of food. They escorted me to the mortuary, they held my hand as I cried through making through final arrangements. My pastors, friends, sorority sisters, church family, and university community extended themselves to me greatly. Uh, One dear friend set up a meal service for me, another created a video montage of family photos for the service. Another introduced me to online grocery delivery services. Uh, Several others sent flowers, cards, and notes of encouragement and even helped me pack pack up my home thank you, Lord. (laughs) I have never in my life felt so enveloped by the everlasting love of God. That love has not stopped extending to me today. Today, it shows up in the village or team that God has given me, which enables me to survive as a solo parent. Some widows or widowers refer to ourselves as solo parents rather than single parents, as it better describes our role as the sole surviving parent of children. And I'll stop there.
2: Wow, Deshana, when you had told us earlier in the show about the challenges you had been experiencing in this project, I, I hadn't expected something like this. So uh, just quite incredible what you have gone through. Um, and I'm so grateful that you've been willing to share that story here.
0: Could you share with us what it was like to write that part of the book? Was it difficult was it easy what were you thinking as you were writing it can you give us a little window frame into what that felt like
3: yes it was it was it was difficult <laughs> so it was um i think i was writing this about 7 months after my husband passed away and so yeah within the first year it's it's a pretty difficult period of time and it was the first time that i was kind of publicly Talking about his death, I mean, you know, people knew he passed away, but I just, it was just difficult to even discuss it really publicly. This was like the first, you know, kind of step out there, but one of our strategy sessions and Nancy and I, we were just talking about we were, we were talking about this chapter and what we wanted to come about from the chapter. And I feel like it was just the Lord that just said to me, like, now's time, right? You have to be able to help other people. And so so I did. Those were definitely some super real feelings and emotions that I captured on paper there. Thank God I'm in a different place today. A little more strength, a little stronger. My life looks a lot different. But I definitely still have the team. I still have the village. And the village is so key. I'm I'm like a huge Laker fan. So I always joke with my mom. I I tell her that she's more clutch than Kobe. And- (laughs) (laughs) and that's like um, <laughs> that's really
0: clutch <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah just her support and how she helps me and my sister and just my my best friend my friends my whole village has just been so helpful I just wouldn't make it farther we also talk about this throughout the book just the experience of working at a Christian university some Some of us authors do. And so uh, this was also a period of time that my colleagues from APU just really surrounded me in a way that they showed this is what it is to be the church. We often have lots of disagreements within Christian community, but it's really good to have a moment and a marker that I can refer back to and say, but my community will be the church when I need them to be
0: well, just to remind you again, Mandashana, you are a power woman. Love Thank that. You. Thank you for sharing your story.
4: <laughs> and can I just say that all this happened while we were writing and editing this book? So, so this was the truly power woman and you know, infusing all that into the, this very book that we're talking about.
3: And I think in the earlier segment, when you asked me about challenges that I experienced, this was like the major challenge. We were in the middle of writing this volume when my husband passed away, I feel like we we actually had a deadline. I think we had to request like an extension because I was just completely out of it. And the power woman that Nancy is, Nancy just threw the whole team on her back. And she's just like, we're going to get past this. We're going to get to the finish line. And this book is going to be done. And so she <laughs> just carried me through that part. But I think that God is really... um birthed out of it. Like you can, I think that's why you can hear so much from it and get so much from it. And it, and it crosses so many different communities, even though we wrote it about academic moms, it really does touch working moms across the, the, the vein, you know, and I think that that from this, this pain that it was kind of birthed out of in this sisterhood and camaraderie and willingness to come together.
2: I'm so glad to hear all this detail. This does not appear on the back cover of the book. So it's like the behind the scenes story of your partnership and even all that you had to go through, Deshana, with your husband's passing. I mean, this is all so on one hand, difficult to listen to, but at the same time makes me appreciate this book all the more, just knowing the hardships that you all endured, that Nancy having to carry some of that weight that was unexpected, all of it. its It's incredibly enriching to hear the full story. When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Deshana and Nancy and find out a little bit more about their personal writing habits, maybe some quirks too. And you'll also find out how to get a special discount on their book, Power Women. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast.
1: The world keeps changing at a dizzying pace. How can you stay current and discover biblical truths to meet today's challenges? Introducing Seminary Now a new online on-demand streaming service where you can learn from gifted teachers such as Brenda Salter McNeil.
2: The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place. James Chung.
1: What is the gospel? Is it just about where you go when you die? Esau McCulley. When we look at the injustice in the world, we're going to address the perennial issue of slavery. And we're going to talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people. And there are so many more great teachers to learn from. Get a 20% discount off your subscription by using the code EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. That's EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. The world keeps changing. Don't stop learning.
0: You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. Today we've been talking with Dr. Deshana Collier-Gubil and Dr. Nancy Wong-Yu. And so keep listening to figure out how you can get a special 40% discount on their book, Power Women, at ivypress.com. But first, let's find out a little bit more about our guests, their writing habits, and their quirks. And so I'd like for each of you to think about a time when you had writer's block, or even as you guys shared earlier, when it was just really hard to keep going with this book project life happens the pandemic happens all of that what did you do to push through and make your deadlines
4: support and community (laughs) i mean because this was co-edited we definitely uh, kept each other accountable deadlines are actually extremely helpful for me hard deadlines soft deadlines but I, I'm an extrovert and I need to work in community, write virtually with people. I would meet, with Zoom, meet on Zoom with people and just write. We would turn off our video and sound, but then just write on our own. And so a lot of community is important for, because writing, it, it, it's, it feels like a very isolating experience, but it doesn't have to be. You need, you need incentives. You need incentives to write because it is a laborious process. So always rewarding yourself after writing.
3: Yeah, I think definitely writing in community is super helpful. I just like, I'm such a people person that being able to co-write with Nancy was spot on for me when I got in, into trouble spots. So both prior to the pandemic, Nancy and I had a coffee shop location that we would meet at and we would just kind of hang out and get all of our thoughts out. And then we, okay, now let's start taking notes. And so it was that was super helpful. And I think when I've had writer's block... What's helpful for me because I'm more deliberative is taking a break, taking a moment, going to play with my kids, going to, so I like to bake as it's, it's cathartic. It helps me. It's like a stress reliever for me. I'll go like bake some cookies or something or make a cake (laughs) or like try to do to make a new recipe I haven't made before and then come back. And it's almost like I need that reset in order for in space away from the writing in order for things to start to click for me.
0: What do you do to just help you keep going when it comes to writing or even really practical tips for our listeners who are writers or they want to be authors and they're like, I don't know how to just keep writing. What are some practical tips or quirky habits that you have to help you get through?
4: Uh, so I use the pomodoro work um, schedule I think a lot of people do and it's you know every every 20 25 minutes you you actually schedule a break and then for every 4 25 minute uh scheduled you know work segments you uh, you take a longer break right so you can look it up this is the pomodoro work method and a lot of writers use that i i yeah and I also break things down into doable parts, because the psychology of writing is that if you start to get frustrated and feel like you're not making progress, you're not going to want to continue or you don't want to come back the next day. So you have to feel like you are actually making progress. And also at the end of the day, or especially if you can't write the next day, a lot of the writing time is spent like remembering what you did before or going through. So write yourself a note about what to do next so that you're already giving yourself the instruction. Um, so that you don't have to spend that time remembering, recalling, you know, sifting, processing.
3: Sometimes I'll feel like if I don't have a good large chunk of time to write, then I feel like, oh, I can't get it done. And this is where like the method that Nancy is talking about can be super helpful. And this is actually discussed in one of our chapters by Maria, She talks about how even if you just have 15 minutes, that might be 15 minutes that you track down an article that you need or 15 minutes that you organize, you know, your article, something like that. And it's still productive and it's still moving you forward. So I just respecting the scheduled time. Right. Like I'm a person that needs that kind of information schedule time to write
2: (laughs) and expect that appointment with myself to write oh that's so good I mean I think that there's so much of our days that are those little little chunks that you think I can't get anything monumental or really substantial done so I'm just gonna scroll through my Instagram for 15 minutes but this has been really helpful I feel like okay I have to be better about capturing all those little chunks because they all add up that's so good Yes, and
4: Maria Suwong's—it's um, actually the first chapter. She, in her, in her chapter, she actually cites research that shows that working moms um, who are professors are actually more productive after the the initial first years of young children. So those first five, whatever five seven years are not productive but after that they are actually more productive than their peers because they've learned to use every single maximum every single waking moment in their lives that we're actually master i don't even know if we're multitaskers but actually just using each moment and and scheduling it out and really being able to and she is she's actually the she's the she's the master of of the pomodoro (laughs) I've done those with her. She will do them in 10-minute segments after lunch because you're too tired. She's like, just two, just 10 minutes, 10 minutes at a time. So yeah, so so we have a lot of practical, useful content like that in the book as well.
2: Well, this has been such a helpful conversation for me, even though I'm not a woman in academia, just as a a working mom. And I think this will be an amazing resource, just the conversation as well as the book for so many. I just would love to hear as a closing note from each of you, what are your hopes and dreams for what your book will do, either out there in the marketplace or in academia or for women of color in academia. We'd just love to hear each of you share your, your hopes and dreams for the book.
3: I just hope that they, that it that people are not going to see it as just faculty moms and stop there because there's so many helpful stories and tips and guides for working moms in general. Um, and so that's, that's my hope and dream is that it really just helps and blesses the masses.
4: We ended the book with saying like, you know, we are here for you, right? The the, the moms in this book, we, every one of them wrote it. I'm going to get all weepy. <laughs> every one of them wrote it with the intent that others can, can, can learn from our, you know, our journey so that they don't have to feel like they're doing it alone, that there, there have been people who have come before them and that, and that people are praying for them you know and so all that is what this book is about power women who want to share that power with other power women and empower empower them
3: i think for i think for women of color like our clarion call is just our voices are needed our voices are so needed so push push forward you know push forward i mean we experienced, you know, microaggressions and we experienced um, different things and being told no and um, having to really fight to to, you know, save our voice in in the title, in the chapters and the messaging of the book. Um, and so, you know, keep pushing forward. It's so our voices are so and it blesses so many people.
0: Well, thank you guys so much. We're excited for this book and we're excited for just even Nancy had just said those communities of women who are going to be formed because this book was written. And so we really look forward to that. But, you know, we've come to the end of our time together. Um, But before we go, we wanted to give you guys a few moments to share any special projects you guys have going on or even where people can reach you if they want to connect with you.
4: I am on Twitter. I live on Twitter. (laughs) So I'm at Nancy W-Y-U-E-N. But I tweet not very much about (laughs) about being a mom, but a lot about what it means to have your voice heard in the popular cultural industry. And I'm actually working on a memoir. So again, you know, moving towards this, this more personal, melding the personal and the scholarly together. I'm working on a book of essays that is a reflection of my life through the popular culture that I've consumed growing up so the tv shows that I watched the films that I've seen so yeah so kind of a fun but also you know anti-racist of course (laughs) and so kind of like minor feelings if anyone's written read minor feelings but but a lighter scholarly version of that so
3: yeah, and I'm, a, I'm also on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter as much. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we
3: all learned from Nancy. She's like our role and I was going to say, Nancy, Nancy's She's helping me, so. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just at Deshauna Collier, so D-E-S-H-O-N-N-A-C-O-L-L-I-E-R. So yeah, like Nancy said, I'm, I'm writing more. I'm a criminologist by training. That's my field of study. That's my scholarly field. So I, pro- I tweet mostly about that and the, and be the experience of being a Black woman academic. And related to that, I have this amazing group called the Collective. So it's the Black Women's Criminologists Collective. And we are working on something now that hopefully we can get done this year uh, (laughs) that will have add our voices to the conversation related to race in the criminal justice system.
0: Well, we'll be sure to link that in our show notes just so people know where to find that and learn more about it. And so thank you guys both so much. It has been so great to hear the stories behind Power Women and also just to have you guys both on the show today.
3: It's been a pleasure. It's
4: been a pleasure being here. Thank you for having us.
0: It's been fun. More community and more power. Yes. Amen to that. And now we wanted to share with you all that you can find the book Power Women at ivpress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free US shipping. So visit our site to get a great deal on Deshana and Nancy's book.
1: Thanks everyone for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clawson. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends. We'd be grateful for your reviews and recommendations on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now. Or you can email us with your comments, questions, or suggestions at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now.